Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Morning Muse podcast. I'm your host, Sierra, if you're new here. And if you're not, welcome back to another episode. Um, I first want to start off with apologizing for not getting an episode up last week. I was not feeling well. I was very under the weather, um, and I got really busy with work. So I did not get a chance to edit or record anything last week. But I'm back this week with an episode for you guys, and it's my first guest episode of the podcast in a while. So I haven't recorded a guest episode in months before this, so it was really nice getting back into the groove of things with recording with a guest. And I had such a great time recording with Amber Sabri. She is the founder and owner of As Her PR, a PR agency based out of New York, Um, I had such an amazing conversation with her and I feel like this was one of my absolute favorite, um, recordings to do with a guest in a long time. So I really loved the conversation she and I had about how she started her agency, what inspired her to create her own agency and why she got into it in the first place and getting all the details and, insights into what it's like to own a PR agency and what the work she does behind the scenes and also just getting to realize like why PR isn't just social media it's a lot more than just creating Instagram posts just creating reels and TikToks and stuff like that there's a lot more to it so we deep dive into all of that in this week's episode I cannot wait for you guys to hear it like I said it's one of my favorites um and go show her some love um it's honestly one of my favorite episodes to date. So with that, let's get into today's episode. Well, hi, Amber. Welcome welcome to the Morning Muse podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I am too. I'm happy to have you. Well, for those of my audience who don't know you, tell my audience about yourself, where you're from, and what you do. Sure. So like you said, my name's Amber. I'm from Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania. I'm from the Northeast. Never really know how to answer that one. (laughs) Uh, But I run my own PR agency. I started about a year and a half ago, two years ago, if we count freelance work. And yeah, I work in PR. I work with minority owned brands and female founders. And we just work to kind of even out the playing field, put them on the radar, make sure everyone knows who they are. So they're up there with the big players too. Awesome. That's so exciting. Now tell us how you started your agency as a PR and like what inspired you to create your own company. So it kind of happened accidentally, really. I was working full-time at a mid-sized agency. I had graduated college loved the agency, but really wanted to be in a more creative space and work with a more creative agency. The clients I was working with were pretty big, so it wasn't really necessary to be so hands-on. So I ended up just deciding to quit the job. I was lucky enough. I was living at home. It was during the pandemic, had no bills. I was like, let me give this a shot. Let me see if I can find another agency. While I was in the midst of finding a new job, I decided okay, maybe I could try freelancing in the meantime. Who knows when I'm going to get a new job? Might as well continue to work on my PR skills. And coincidentally, a South Asian fashion brand that I had followed for years at that point had 
posted that they were looking for PR help. And I was like, okay, this is just too much of a coincidence to not pursue Mm -hmm. it. So I started working with them. I worked with them starting February, 2021. And we worked together for about the entirety of 2021. In September, they went to New York Fashion Week. And that's when everything kind of spiraled from there. I was able to build a really great network, really good connections. And it just kind of didn't make sense to not pursue that. I was 24 years old at the time. Mm -hmm. Things were going well. And I decided, okay, let's give it a shot. If all else fails, I can go back to the corporate world. And so that's kind of how it happened. Had no intention of doing this. My idea was (laughs) maybe I'll open an agency when I'm like 35 and I've worked my way up. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of happened at 24. (laughs) You know what? What I always think is everything happens for a reason. And that brand, mm-hmm. like saying that they're reaching out for PR help, was like, I think that was your sign. That was your calling. Exactly. I truly believe in signs. So when I had a thought on, let's say, a Tuesday, and the next day I saw someone say they needed PR help, I was like, okay, this is not a coincidence. Nothing is yeah. a coincidence. Let's give it a shot. You have literally nothing to lose. Exactly. And what's what inspired your name for your agency, Azar? Where does it come from? So I thought about this for weeks. So I started the agency in October of 2021. In August, I was already thinking, this seems like the right move. But I was like, I need a name for the agency. At the time, I was just a freelancer, so I didn't really need a name. I spent two months thinking of names. I was trying to figure it out. I didn't want my name attached to it, but I wanted to have a personal connection. Mm -hmm. I was talking to all of my friends, their parents, literally everyone, anyone I could speak to. And one day I'm just sitting on the couch with my mom and she's like, what about Azhar? And I was like, oh, Azhar is my mom's maiden name. It's, um, it means illuminating and radiant in Urdu. And it kind of worked out where my whole mission statement was like, we want to illuminate South Asian brands and minority owned brands. And I was like, wow. okay, another coincidence that just does not <laughs> seem like a coincidence. So I went from there and I decided to use my mom's maiden name. That's awesome. That's so perfect. And it's still like connected to you and like your family history. So it's that's an awesome connection. I love that. Yeah, I really wanted it to be personal, but I didn't want to be like, mm-hmm. Amber's agency I didn't want to be like hey I'm the face of it (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) now what made you want to work with brands from underrepresented communities specifically like what why was that your focus point so I love reading those online publications or for 29 Vogue pop sugar always on their newsletters and I think around 2020 when I was at my job and I was working with a big name brand I kind of just became very much aware that like these big brands have huge budgets and that's why they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. And then the smaller brands don't have as big of a budget. So no one really wants to work with them. I was always on the hunt for South Asian brands, minority owned brands, Muslim owned brands, just smaller brands that were like on the come up that had really cute stuff, but I could never find it because you're kind of getting the same like 15 to 20 brands regurgitated in every single listicle and roundup. And I'm like, I already know these top 15 South Asian brands, these top 15 Mm -hmm. black owned brands, but I know there were hundreds more out there. So I wanted to be that person to get them in there. So I was looking for those brands, any minority owned brands, female owned brands that weren't typically in those roundups. 
Mm-hmm. And I wanted to help them get in there and get them kind of more on the same platform that a lot of these bigger like beauty brands and fashion brands are so that seeing them on that bigger platform, those brands grow even more. So that was kind of why I wanted to. I love that. Now for your focus, like do you, what types of brands do you work with? Do you work with fashion, beauty, or are you just all of the above any, any type of brand? So originally I wanted When I first started in PR through internships, I did Mm -hmm. a fashion PR internship. I worked with beauty brands and I loved that because I am just a consumer of that in general. And then my full-time job, I worked in the food and bev space. So it was more consumer. Mm -hmm. Didn't like that. Didn't realize it was the client I didn't like, not the space. So then when I started freelancing, I was like, I only want to work with fashion and beauty. Like, that's what I'm like. That's what I love. And then as I started working with more brands, I kind of realized it was the creativity that I craved. So it's really all brands that I love. So I actually found that I love working with food and bev brands. You can get really mm-hmm. cool and creative with them. So now I work with fashion, beauty, wellness, lifestyle, food and bev, consumer, mm-hmm. toys, literally anything. As long as you're female owned or minority owned, I want to work with you. I'm not the best at tech, but I'm willing to learn. <laughs> <laughs> but I definitely work more on like that consumer side. Gotcha. Okay. I love, I honestly love looking at new small businesses because a lot of the times they have such like great things. Like there's this one brand I, um, I shop at, it's called Dream Daily. Um, it's female owned by Hannah Ashton. I actually interviewed her for my podcast like a while back ago before she started this company. And, and I bought my mom a pre- uh, I think it was either a Mother's Day present or a, Christmas present from from that brand because I know I know the quality is good and I love like finding like women like like you said women-owned businesses that are like that that just provide such good quality of products and stuff so it's really cool to, to see see you advocating for them and just trying to get their businesses out there yeah and even just looking for brands so a lot of ways that I find t- clients is literally scrolling through Instagram Mm-hmm. And going through those pages that really support a lot of minority-owned brands. And I've been able to find so many cool brands that I haven't even worked with, but I know I'm going to be shopping with. I've literally saved them, saved their products because I'm like, that is so cute. It's so unique. You don't see it every day. And it's kind of been like a win-win situation for me where I've been able mm-hmm. to work with some really cool brands that I like, but then also find really cool brands that I just want to shop from. Yep, that's awesome. Now, what made you like want to get into PR what made you want to like major in PR in college and work with brands from the PR and digital marketing front so it all kind of started because I loved fashion growing up and I think I was around 16 years old the time when you're like trying to figure out what do you actually want to do with your life Mm -hmm. and my mom used to work um, at the Saks corporate offices and worked really closely with the PR team there. And she would tell me about all these cool launch parties she went to and the designers that she want, she worked with. And I was like, this is my way in. I want to work in the fashion industry, but I am in no way a designer whatsoever. <laughs> this is a cool way that I can get involved. So I was like, after that, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go into PR. Had no idea what PR was, if I'm being completely honest. But I was like, sure, let's give it a shot. And then I went to Rutgers. I took some classes. I was able to have like, I think it was three or four internships. And I fell in love with it. And I was like, okay, yeah, I did actually choose right, despite the lack of thought. And I just fell in love with like the planning side of it, the 
it's a lot of like socializing, having conversations with people, emailing people, planning things, campaigns, a lot of things that I like to do in general. Love planning dinner parties for my friends, curating the list, curating the theme. I've basically just put that into a job now. <laughs> yeah, plan you're a planner by heart. Yes, type A through and through. <laughs> I honestly I love that. I for those of you guys who are listening who don't know, I'm actually majoring in public relations in college right now. And I and I love it. It's an amazing field. Um I actually joined I joined my local uh chapter PRSSA. I don't know if you were a part of PRSSA in college too, but yeah. I'm actually I'm I'm really excited to be in it. And and one of the reasons why like I joined PR and like wanted to go down that route is like like you said I love I love making connections I love meeting new people and planning things and just like I'm a go getter I want to learn I want to experience new things and meet new people and see how they're doing things so being able to do that with PR is just an amazing thing and a lot of people don't realize PR isn't just social media it's not just Instagram it's more than that it's actually like building a brand building a brand's presence and like building them up so Mm -hmm. many people can see their work and not just like one singular person yeah I love it I love PR because it is you get to be so creative even if you're working corporate communications it's how Mm -hmm. do we make AT&T more enjoyable by the general public it's all about that brand awareness being on top of the trends, both in the magazines and in social. That's why I love PR. And it's definitely for the social butterfly. But you do not like to socialize. (laughs) This is definitely (laughs) not your industry. Every single person I talk to, they're like, yeah, we love meeting new people. We thrive off of the energy. We're so extroverted. That is just the way to go in this industry. Yep, I'm an extrovert through and through. And you, uh, you can't get me away from people. I'm always around people. and I love being with people, you know, so it's like, it's like a perfect, perfect, combo for me I love socializing I love meeting new people PR is the perfect industry for that so it's just like why don't I just do it you know it doesn't hurt exactly it's like (laughs) what what else are you gonna do where you can basically get paid to talk to people exactly right it's so (laughs) it's so amazing and I'm honestly like really excited for my PR SSA chapter next year because I recently got accepted to be the BP programming for it so I'll be programming all the events and stuff I'm so excited I literally cannot wait I have so many people in mind that I want to have speak at my at my chapter for SSA so I cannot wait so excited that's so exciting congrats yeah yeah. PRSSA was such a great experience for me in college too I think it really helped me in kind of figuring out is this actually what I want to do because you're surrounded Mm -hmm. by a bunch of other people similar industries they're all about that mentorship connecting with your professors so it's really good you're gonna have so much fun I'm so excited I literally cannot wait for this upcoming school year because I know it's just going to be a great a great opportunity and great way to network and meet people from different companies and stuff so I'm just so so excited um but I know you work with um brands on a digital marketing front for those for those people who don't know what is digital marketing and how is it like traditional I mean how is it different from traditional marketing So digital marketing is what people think of when they think of social media. So when you're seeing social media management, paid ads on Facebook and Instagram and literally anywhere on the internet, email marketing, SMS marketing, content creation, it's kind of everything that falls into like the digital world. Traditional Mm -hmm. marketing is 
more so like those campaigns that you see on TV. So I always think of the, this was like my go-to in college whenever we did like marketing projects, but the always, um, oh, what was it called? It was like for the girls campaign. Oh, yes, and it was yes, basically, yes. I can't remember what the official oh. name is, but it was basically a, a female empowerment thing. And it like was like a girl. It's like, like, a girl. like a girl. Yeah. Yeah. And it was basically kind of fighting against like those gender stereotypes and everything. That was marketing where there's this full campaign that lives across everything. Marketing, digital marketing falls into marketing. Marketing is kind of that bigger thing. Digital marketing is the smaller side of it. So Mm -hmm. the marketing is like having the digital component, having the in-person component, the events, the advertisements, the activations, everything like that. And then digital marketing is that smaller part where how are you activating the social media? How are you building your community online? How are you connecting with them through all the different um, modes of communication, phone, email, text, everything like that. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of what digital marketing falls into. Gotcha. Did you major in digital marketing at Rutgers? No, my major, I was a communications major where I specialized in PR. And then I was a double major and I did political science because I did think I wanted to work in politics for a certain Mm -hmm. period of time. And then I was like, it's too much politics, too much information to know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I have a friend who's doing a, she's doing a double major with PR. Well, she's doing two tracks within communication. She's doing the PR track and the political communication track. And she really likes it because she wants to be, she wants to be a crisis manager um for companies so So it's really exciting I think it's really worth it I think a lot of things I learned from my political science courses I applied to my communication stuff as well Mm -hmm. I do wish I think at Rutgers we have like a digital media and journalism or digital communication there's some other thing where Mm -hmm. I wish I pursued that as well as like a double major but I had the politics in the back of my mind I didn't even think of it until (laughs) I graduated and I was like "Mm, that probably could have been a smart move yeah. It's funny when you brought up that always like a girl campaign. The only reason I know about that campaign is because I took an advertising class my first semester intro to advertising. I hated it. Hated that course. I was planning on doing a double major in PR and advertising. I'm like, oh, there's no way you're getting me to do advertising. There's no way. Mm-hmm. It was awful. I hated it. All my friends who listen to this podcast, they know I hated that class awful despise it <laughs> so many of my friends are still in the advertising class but I'm like why are you torturing yourself with that I can't do it I can't do it I agree I feel like PR is like the fun version of advertising they definitely right. all overlap with each other but I can like I just feel like advertising is like too business analytical yeah. and I'm yeah. like I want to have fun I want to be creative <laughs> I want to throw parties I want to talk to people I don't want to crunch numbers exactly oh my goodness oh I love it um for those of people who are wanting to start their own PR agency or even their own digital marketing agency what advice do you have for them wanting to do that I the bigger it's a very broad advice that I say is to launch now and perfect later I think a lot of people wait to get all of their ducks in a line and make sure everything is perfect before launching. But what I've learned is you cannot predict anything. 
even the way that I handle my communications and my business organization, everything is different than how I originally started. You're constantly changing, you're adjusting with the times. So that's like my overall advice. If you really want to jump into it, I would make sure that you create like a list of like your network of photographers, brands, influencers, um, literally anyone in the industry and reach out to them. Say that you have these services and just kind of curate who you want to be, the kind of brand that you want to have. And then I am very type A, like I mentioned. So I kind of wrote down like, okay, if I have this brand and we are working on this type of campaign, these are the services that I need to do. These are the platforms I need to use. This is the email system I need to use. And so I kind of outlined in general, like if I have a brand, a fashion brand, and they want to do an influencer campaign and traditional PR, I'm going to need a subscription to Muckrack so that I can have press contacts. And I'm also going to need Canva so I can make a nice PR strategy deck. And I'm going to need to make sure that I have a folder set in stone on Google Drive to make sure that I have all of their assets and their logo and their brand bio. So kind of break it down of like, ideally, this is the kind of campaign I'm working on. What goes into that? What do you need from that? And then build from there. I kind of like to work from the bigger picture and funnel it down. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, don't lock yourself into that. If things may change, the brands may not want that, that you actually reach out to. But that's kind of like the overall thing that I think really helped me in launching is kind of having that bigger picture working down and then seeing how I can take those steps to get to that bigger picture. I love that. I love that. Um, How do you, like you said, social media, PR, it's ever-changing and there's things changing every day. So how do you stay up to date with the ever-changing landscape of PR and digital marketing? I am subscribed to so many newsletters. I listen to podcasts about the industry. And oddly enough, although it has kind of died, and I don't think it's of the younger generation so much, Twitter is very helpful on the industry side. I follow Mm -hmm. a lot of journalists and a lot of editors and a lot of PR professionals who constantly talk about their experiences. And you can definitely see how things change. People are talking about, oh, well, I've been pitching like this and it doesn't work anymore. So we've pivoted to this. That's definitely how I stay up to date on what's going on in the world. The podcast that I listen to, um, they're talking, they're constantly bringing on guests with different perspectives. So there are some people who kind of follow what was normal 10 years ago. And there's people who are carving out their own path. It's Mm -hmm. nice to have the different perspectives of how other people do it so that I'm prepared for what everyone's thinking of, but I can make it my own. And then industry newsletters, there's like PR Newswire, PR, I can't remember what it's called. There's like PR industry. There's Mm -hmm. a bunch of stuff. And I just kind of, I'm I'm subscribed to so many things. My inbox is flooded with email marketing, but it helps me stay in touch with what's going on in the world. That's awesome. And with that, what are some like common misconceptions that people have about PR and digital marketing? I think the biggest thing is that people don't realize that PR is not social media. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of times where people email me and they want to be an intern or they're looking for a job and they're like, I love social media and I can do content creation. I can do this. And I'm like, I appreciate it. You're a go-getter. You're reaching out, but that's not what PR is. PR is brand exposure. It is pitching to the media. It is working with different media outlets. Digital marketing is the social media. 
So that is like the one big picture thing. I think the other misconception is that a lot of people and especially a lot of small businesses think that one person can do everything. It's not. PR and digital marketing are two completely different roles. You cannot have everyone doing everything. It's not easy. It's not quick. It's not simple. It is quite strategized. Obviously, we're quick and we think on our feet when things change because the media landscape is changing all the time. But we have a strategy in action. A lot of times Mm -hmm. we're planning a month to three months in advance. It's not just like we're pulling things out of our head and it takes time. PR and digital marketing are not something that take, oh, I haven't seen anything happen in two weeks. I haven't gained a thousand followers in three days. It takes time. 90% of the time, you're not going to see anything until at least three months in because you got to be consistent. It's all about consistency. I don't think a lot of people realize that. That's a, that's a great thing to know because just for people even majoring in it, like people have this like you said a misconception PR is social media so it's it's good that we're trying to like disrupt that disrupt that like cycle of thinking that oh PR is just working with social media PR it's just like going to the press it's not just that so many other different things that that are within it Mm -hmm. like at the end of the day the job is simple of creating a strategy posting on social media writing a pitch emailing them but there's a lot of work that goes into that of what do those media, what does the media write? What do those journalists focus on? How can we perfectly create that pitch where it's not just another of the thousand pitches in their email on social media? How do we make it unique while still being of the trends? Like there's a lot of thought that goes into it, even if the task itself seems quite simple. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And can you share a success story of a brand that you've worked with and how your PR and digital marketing strategies contributed to their growth? Um, let me think. I would say my first client that I signed, the fashion brand, Holy Chic by Mega. We started working together in February and it was definitely a group effort. I will not take full credit for it. Those two, the founder and the creative director are such hardworking women. They were five years in when I came in and now they're about seven, eight years in. And we started working together in February. They were launching a new um, collection. And in August, we saw them at New York Fashion Week. They were on the runway. They hosted their own pop-up. We had a VIP night. We were able to build so many relationships with a lot of celebrities and just top-tier influencers. And from that, we were, the founders and I were invited to the Teen Vogue um, editor-in-chief. There was a new one, Versha Sharma. She threw a party. We were invited to that. And now if you see it, the founder, her platform has grown exponentially. Again, not to me, but like in a group effort of Mm -hmm. we put all this work in for PR, we planned all these events, we built these relationships. And so over a long period of time, things have grown. And now you see her at these different events. She's an influencer as well as a founder. She's invited to the White House Diwali party. And it's just like from that starting point, obviously they were growing such a huge brand to begin with. When I started working with them, I think they had like 90,000 followers. So Mm -hmm. it's not like they were small, but they were still a small business. And then from that February to December of working together, we were able to get them in the press. We were able to build more relationships with celebrities and just get their name more out there where Mm -hmm. it has been a bigger deal. And as a result, 
the founders and the brand have become more in the mainstream. That's amazing. That's awesome. I love to hear that. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, it was really great to be a part. It's really great to be a part of their journey. Now we work on kind of like a project basis whenever they have a small event or something. Mm-hmm. But it's nice that we have that relationship. We have like joint just respect for each other. And we're constantly lifting each other up, referring each other to other people. And I mm-hmm. think that that's something that really makes it a success story in PR when you find people and brands and clients that are willing to pass your name name along and you're willing to pass their name along because at the end of the day it's a very small industry a lot of people know everyone Mm -hmm, for sure and how do you approach building relationships with like journalists and influencers in your in your industry I find it just obviously I'm going to be emailing them left right and center that's just the name of the job but I've found building relationships through social media is great a lot of um editors and journalists have a public profile that's how they connect with brands so if you're just following them you engage with their content they're going to be familiar with their name they're not like oh who is this girl why is she following me they understand it's an industry thing Mm -hmm. and just kind of making more of like a personal approach to when you are emailing them if there is something that you think is really relevant to them and you're like oh I saw them wear a dress very similar to this my client has something let me pitch them it's calling that out making that personal connection kind of just like making a friend in general or networking in general is you want to build that at least one personal connection where it makes sense for the conversation to continue but social media has been a really great way to continue to build relationships there and similarly with influencers I've been lucky enough where I've been invited to events and I've hosted events and I have definitely a core influencer list that I always reach out to because I know that they're always going to post. They're super appreciative to be there. They really support my clients. So I've built up relationships with them and we've also maintained a relationship online as well. So I'm constantly growing that list. I'm not like exclusively inviting the same 10 people, but those Mm -hmm. 10 people are always top of mind of like, I know they're going to be supportive. I know they're going to help us out. And then we constantly expand in the effort to continue building those relationships. Social media at the end of the day is what has really built that network. Yeah, I agree. I've made so many connections with people just by reaching out to them on Instagram DMs or doing cold emails. Like that's how I've gotten most of my guests on this podcast, just by like, like you said, like engaging with their, with their social media profiles and just like constantly interacting and just having the courage to reach out. You know, it all takes that one little action to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. everyone wants that personal connection on mm-hmm. social media I mean some of my closest friends now I've met through social media everyone wants to feel connected to each other it's a little selfish but everyone wants to feel a little important so if you make that effort to engage in their content make conversation even if it's like a simple slide up on the Instagram story that's how you build it it's all from that small little bits add to a much bigger relationship Yep, I agree. And can you give us some insights into your process for creating effective PR campaigns? I get very collaborative. Mm -hmm. I think, I don't know if that's the exact thing that has made some of our PR campaigns successful, but working with small businesses, I completely understand like that's their baby. They don't want to give up full control. So I make it as collaborative as they want. 
I take into account like the goal publications they want to be in, the goal influencers they want to work with, the goal celebrities they want to address. And we factor that in and then we take a look at, okay, what's happening in the media right now? What is relevant to them? Where should they be? Where are they not? And we kind of fill in the gaps from there. We kind of combine it from there. And I think having that strategy in action where you're taking into account the client, which everyone should be doing. And for the most part, everyone does, but then also guiding them and like, Hey, I am the expert here. This is my recommendation. Let's go with this. Let's go with this and let's put them together. And then not being so tied to that. Like I said, from the beginning, when it was like, when you're starting your agency, don't be tied to what you've already started. If you see something's not working, working a pitch, a campaign, just a regular outreach email to an influencer, be ready to adjust. Just be ready Mm -hmm. to think on your feet, see what's working, take a look a little deeper and oh, why isn't this landing as much as I thought it would be? So I think being successful is having the goals in action on both your side and the client side and being ready to adjust or pivot when needed. Mm -hmm. And with that, do you do like in order to like pivot, do you do like quarterly reflections or six month, half a year reflections or like yearly reflections on the campaigns that you've done and looking at what's been successful, what hasn't been successful? Yeah, we do monthly reports for all of our clients so that we have like a little bit of the check-in on like, this is the stuff we've done for you. These are the conversations that we're having at the moment. Here's a little roundup of from the campaign that we did and like here's the impressions that we're getting from this and so those are a monthly basis and then at the end of the campaign we will do like a full campaign roundup we have a nice pretty deck that we pull together on canva and we analyze everything and pull it all together so that's kind of how we do the reflections we do it monthly and then we do like a full end of the campaign wrap up okay and with that like how do you measure the success of a pr digital marketing campaign I don't rely so hugely on the numbers. I know a lot of people do. And yes, the numbers are important. But I think more so on how repetitive is the conversation with these brands. So for example, I hosted a gifting suite for my clients back in February. This was essentially bringing all my clients together, bringing the media, bringing the influencers and getting that face-to-face interaction with them. And I wasn't measuring success in, oh, how many people posted? How many followers do these people have? How many tags did we get? It was, how did we build those relationships? So on the more like the influencer side from that, we've seen influencers that we talked to in February still posting about and talking about the products then. That's how I view it as successful. Obviously, I'm letting them know we had these this influencer with 400,000 followers come and tag the brand. Obviously, that's a great win, but I'm also letting them know, but we've seen them post 12 times over the past four months, which is such a bigger thing because obviously mm-hmm. one post, sure, people post their unboxings all the time, mm-hmm. but when you see it continuously, you know that you've made it into the routine and you've built a relationship on like the more like PR front, traditional media. We measure that based off of the impressions of the website and a lot of times if it's product, the affiliate links and the clicks that we get to that and just to see how people receive it. So you can't measure too much besides impressions, but we believe that if your name is out there, 
there is no such thing as having too small of a following because the blogs have very strong readers. The top tier media have very strong media readers. We just want to hit those people where it matters to them. Okay, that's awesome. And in your experience, what are some key elements of a strong brand identity? I think a strong brand identity, a lot of times, and I think in the past, like, 10 or so years is having a forward-facing founder. It makes such a huge difference. People, and I think especially Gen Z, Mm -hmm. is very aware of like performative marketing. They really like more personal marketing and more personal Mm -hmm. relationships. So you see a lot of the very successful brands out there do very well when they have a founder out there who is sort of the face of it and is constantly talking to you, the marketing efforts are from the founder. I think that makes a really big difference. Having a reason for why you have this product. I've worked with plenty of South Asian beauty brands where they have used Ayurvedic practices to have these products, but why? Did it help you do this? What was the purpose of this? Are you just channeling into this? We had one beauty brand where um, she created a hair oil. She dealt with crazy postpartum hair loss and that hair oil helped her grow her hair back. That mm-hmm. made such a bigger difference than just being like, okay, this brand has a, has a hair oil. It helps with hair growth. When you have like a reason and facts and a history behind that, I think that makes a big difference in your products. And I think having a specific tone makes such a difference. It is so minuscule and I think only like PR marketing people really pick up on it but the tone in which you communicate with your community makes such a big difference there's a way that you're super professional super scientific super cutesy super gen z super millennial it all matters because it depends on who is your audience mm-hmm. if you're using cutesy gen z terms the Gen X does not care. They are not falling into that. So I think having t- a founder, having a why, and having a good tone really build a strong brand identity that make it set them up to have a really successful brand. What are some of your favorite brands that have a really strong brand identity with those key aspects that you defined? I would say top of mind, I always think of Live Tinted. Deepika, she granted she did come from a very high YouTube following and Instagram following. So that mm-hmm. definitely helped in starting her brand. But it's so personal. She talks about her journey of like she started these hue sticks to help with discoloration. She went viral on YouTube because she used red lipstick and that was her trick. So the fact that she created a product for mm-hmm. an issue she had 10 years prior makes such a difference. A lot of her social media is her. She's very upfront about the process. She talks to her community a lot. Very distinct like brand colors and brand presence. I think they do a really good job. I'm trying to think of who else. I mean, everyone knows Duolingo on their social media front. They do so well making it fun for people. And you can tell who their audience is. They're definitely catered towards the younger people who Mm -hmm. love the trends of that, who love the jokes. And I think those two are the first two that really come to mind that really stand out. But I think a lot of beauty brands are doing a really good job in kind of adapting to be more mm-hmm. like out there. Gotcha. Okay. And have you encountered any major challenges while winning your agency? And if so, how did you overcome them? I think the challenges that I really faced is kind of 
being stern, I'm not really a confrontational person. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of times where I've spoken to brands or I've had clients who've kind of viewed me as an employee. So they're mm-hmm. kind of telling me what to do. They're telling me how to execute things. And at the end of the day, they're hiring me as the expert. Yes, of course, I'm taking into account what they're going to say. But at the end of the day, I have the expertise. I should be right. telling them what to do. I shouldn't be taking orders. I'm not going to not listen to them whatsoever, but I'm going to stand true and like, I'm the expert. I'm doing this because of this reason. So that was something that I definitely needed to learn is to kind of stand my ground, remind myself I'm the expert here and not let clients or potential clients walk over me. I love that. I love that. And do you see any emerging trends or technologies in the space that you find particularly exciting or promising? Hmm. I really like how podcasts have been a really great way to use PR and build brand exposure. Mm -hmm. I think it's a lot more, what's the word, like concentrated in terms Mm -hmm. of your PR efforts, because people who are listening to your podcast, for example, are loyal podcast listeners for the most part. It's Mm -hmm. It's probably like a majority are loyal. The rest are probably stragglers who have come from social media or just discovering you. So it's a lot more concentrated. They're going to listen to the full 45 minutes hour podcast versus traditional media. If you're reading Vogue, obviously everyone's reading it, but they're skipping through. They're not dedicated. They're not loyal to it. So I really love that. Um, I had something else and it just totally slipped my mind. really like that trend that's happening right now. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on lemonade? I don't know. People have talked about it, but I haven't really mm-hmm. explored it fully. Mm-hmm. I feel like people are liking it because it's a little bit more casual and whatever, yeah. but I haven't really explored it. I know there was another app that came out during the pandemic, I want to say mm-hmm. in like 2020, that was supposed to be similar to Instagram and everyone's mm-hmm. like, oh, this is the new thing. And that kind of flopped. I kind of feel like Eliminate might be a little bit of a flop, mm-hmm. but I haven't fully explored it, so I can't fully say. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting app. It, it For people who like don't know what it is or don't have it downloaded, I think of it as a mix between Pinterest and Instagram. Like, and it, it has a fee, it has a chrono I think it has a chronological feed, but I can't really tell right now. But it's a feed almost like almost like TikTok in a way where it's people you follow and people you don't follow. And it has these these little different tabs of interest that you've checked off um when you first create your account, like wellness, beauty, travel, lifestyle, fashion, all those different things. And you can like like them, you can comment, you can share it, you can save it to like boards almost like Pinterest so it's like a, it's a kind of a mix and I I've been using it for the past like maybe month or so and I like it and I like the ability that you can see your your they call it the for you page and then your following page I like that aspect but I don't think you can make genuine connections with it because it feels more like you just scroll you like and you comment mm-hmm. and you follow right there's no you can't DM somebody on there. So there's not really like in my mind a 
personal aspect to it to get to know people but I've seen other people say that they've made a good couple of friends from using it but I don't know it's I I don't think it's good for I think it's good for like maybe building up a brand a brand identity and using that at for boosting your products and stuff and maybe even for smaller like influencers to try out a different app that's not Instagram and that's not TikTok that's so congested and and very niche that it's a good way to like try out different things you can be really creative on Lemonade versus like other apps so it's a really interesting app for me right now to think about and stuff so it's 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 interesting to see well okay you're younger Gen Z than me right you're how old are you Um, oh my gosh I was about to say 18 I'm 19 turning 20 I'm turning 20 next month okay so I'm turning 26 so I'm still I'm a little I'm a little older (laughs) geriatric (laughs) so people in I guess in college now and like around your age do you see a lot of people using it like everyday people honestly no I haven't really talked about with my friends I just it's funny I heard about it because I saw people on TikTok talking about it mm-hmm. a bunch. And then I saw a whole bunch of my social media friends posting saying, hey, I just joined Lemonade. I'm posting more on Lemonade. Follow me on here. And I just haven't seen any of my friends downloading it, but I've seen people on Instagram promote it. And I saw multiple people on TikTok promoting it, how it's like the new Instagram. It's just... It's almost like Instagram. It's a blend of Pinterest and Instagram. So it's it's interesting. But I'm personally, I haven't met anybody who's using it. See, that makes me feel like it won't last yeah. or it's going to kind of flop yeah. because I feel like it's industry people who are trying to like get ahead of it and like hopefully mm-hmm. they can blow up on that. So they're posting about it now. But like, the only people who've told me about it are like my fellow like influencer friends. I've right. Exactly. Like that's everyday friends who like don't really care and are just like casually on social media have talked about it. So that makes me feel like it's a flop. Mm-hmm. But at this was TikTok really that big at first? I don't know. Maybe mm-hmm. it has potential to grow. Yeah. I don't know. I just feel I just feel like that we have such a strong Instagram's never gonna go away. No matter how much we complain, we're all still on Instagram. And that's I feel so that's true. Social- so yeah. nothing can really replace it. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the new update to Instagram stories? No, I haven't. They made the icons bigger. Hold on, I'll show you. They're humongous. Did they? They're huge. For it's what ridiculous. Reason? <laughs> I don't know. Literally, it wasn't like that on my phone a couple days ago and then all of a sudden I see these humongous icons I'm like you've got to be kidding it makes it look awful it's terrible I truly don't understand Instagram's like app developers I'm like it's the fact that Instagram is so prevalent like no one's gonna get rid of it but we will complain about every single thing that they do oh like absolutely why are those icons bigger why are we not chronological? Like nothing makes sense on Instagram, but I feel like they know that they can just fuck around with us because they know we're not leaving. Exactly, exactly. exactly. Speaking of which, what are your thoughts since you work with brands 
What are your thoughts on Instagram taking away the shop icon on the bottom of our screen? I don't think I can speak too much on this, but from mm-hmm. like a consumer standpoint, mm-hmm. I am okay with that. I yeah. have not heard of one single person who has ever actually shopped from the Instagram thing. I haven't either. I think it's nice when you kind of link a product and you can see exactly what the product is that the person's wearing when they like tag it in a post. But I've mm-hmm. never heard from like my influencer friends, my just regular friends, any of my brand clients, like them actually making sales from that. So mm-hmm. if anything, I think it's better and it's going to work better for Instagram because it's going to go back to like building the community and not just trying to make sales right yeah yeah I agree yeah because I never I never used it and I would always accidentally click on it and it would be so annoying I'm like I don't need this icon on my screen like just give me the old reels icon exactly (laughs) exactly um and going back to like your clients and having these different brands how do you manage client expectations and delivering results like how do you approach that so this is something that I had to really learn throughout the past like year and a half because obviously you want to hype yourself up you want to be like yes we're going to do this we're going to do that but at the end of the day PR nothing is guaranteed Mm -hmm. we could have the coolest campaign ever no one will care you cannot guarantee anything. So I have found that like sometimes early on clients would be like, well, you didn't get me in any of this. Like I'm out after three months and I'm like, okay, like I get it. But then at the same time, I'm like, I can't control that. Like it's about mm-hmm. the editorial calendar. It's like what they're working on. So from the very beginning, my first conversation and it's in my contracts too, nothing is guaranteed. What we are promising is building relationships and building brand awareness. We are not promising sales we are not promising any press hits we are not promising anything at all we tell them kind of like we average two to four over this time period or we average this many conversations or this many leads but this is not guaranteed this is over a span of a variety of different clients so it's kind of tough and saying it you kind of don't feel great about yourself because you're like well are they just going to think that I can't do this Mm -hmm. Are they not going to sign with me? But if they don't sign with you because you say that you can't guarantee anything, that is just the flag that says they are not the right client for you. If a client says they're only going to work with you, they're like, well, I want to guarantee that you're going to get this. That is a red flag that they're going to be a difficult client. And that's going to be not worth your energy whatsoever. It is not worth whatever money they're paying you if they're going to be a difficult client because it's just going to be so much more work. Mm Interesting. And for you, what are some ethical considerations that that you have to keep in mind when working in PR and digital marketing? Well, you really have to be careful of how you build your relationships. I think journalists and PR people have like a good understanding of each other where it's like, no, we're not trying to buy you and trying to buy um, press leads off of you just because we're giving you stuff. So we kind of, it's like a fine balance of, yes, we want to give you a sample to try it out, but we're not trying to like buy your efforts to get a press lead off of this. But at the same time, don't use us for free stuff if you have no intentions of like actually thinking about it. And Mm -hmm. then on the client side, I try to think of like 
the values, the ethics, the mission of all of my clients of like, why do they have this business? What are their efforts? What are they doing this for? How do they do stuff? So I'm like, there's some clients where you can tell like they're in it for the money. They don't really care. They're going the cheap route. And I'm like, don't really want to align with that. So I just like politely or like, I don't think you're a right fit for us. Here's a recommendation. So there's a Mm -hmm. bunch of different ways, but I think a lot of people are moving more towards being very ethical, being very aware of the world that it isn't so much of an issue. Mm -hmm. And with that, have you ever had to turn down a potential client? And if so, what were like the reasons behind that decision? A lot of times, I've done that plenty of times. I think one is always just like the client expectations. If they're like, well, we really want to do this. We really want to be in Vogue and Forbes. And I'm like, okay, we can work towards that. But if they're really insistent, I'm like, I don't think we're the right fit for you or the way that they want to handle their influencer relationships. So I, you got to respect influencers. They are a business as well. And you kind of pick up on it when you're asking them, like, what are their goals? What have they previously used? What are their previous just business operations? You kind of pick on things where you're like, "Mm, I don't know if that sounds right. Or Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's just like moral or it just rubs you the wrong way and it's just not something that you yourself would do and so if I come across a client or they've told me how they've conducted their PR or digital marketing and it's not something that I a practice I would adopt Mm -hmm. as let's say they hired me then I probably won't do it if they have done something where I'm like oh that's something that maybe we could work on or maybe we could try and implement that into the normal way that I do it then I think they're a fit it's a lot of just like business practices and expectations that kind of lead me to decline a client or not. Gotcha. Okay. And what role does storytelling play in your in your field and how do you incorporate it in your strategies? Oh, it's the biggest thing in PR because at the end of the day, you're building that brand awareness mm-hmm. and you do that through the story. So from the very beginning, the first like two to three weeks when we work with a client, we're either fine tuning your story, brand bio, founder bio, or we're completely creating a new one for you because we want to get everything about you, build that story, your why, your reason, your tone, your brand identity. We want to build that up. And that is how we build out our pitches. That's how we build out our campaigns. That's how we build out the themes. That's how we handle our relationships and our conversations with everything. Everything that you do in PR and digital marketing, it all stems from that original story. So if you don't have that, if it's not solid, nothing is going to be cohesive, nothing is going to make sense, and nothing is going to be going to flow. So you really need that solid story. Know how to tell it in different ways, in different formats, through email, social captions, pitches, press Mm -hmm. releases. That is how you can be successful in your PR strategy. So so a story makes or breaks everything. A hundred percent. You can kind of tell when it's been inconsistent for some brands, if they're like Mm -hmm. still trying to figure out what their tone is, what their story is, what they want to talk about, what they don't want to talk about. And you kind of pick up on it maybe unintentionally, but you are a little like, oh, I thought it was this or, oh, what's that? You can tell when the successful brands that are out there, I could ask you about them and you could tell me, oh, they started this and they launched this and this is their story and this this is how they started those mm-hmm. successful brands, everyone knows what their story is. Interesting. And what do you enjoy the most about running your own PR and digital marketing agency? 
I love the creativity, the freedom, and kind of combining the two, the freedom to be creative. So Mm -hmm. I love that I'm kind of in control of like the creatives for our clients and the direction that we go. I am responsible for myself. I don't have other people telling me what to do. I don't think I enjoy people telling me what to do. (laughs) So I think being an entrepreneur was meant for me without me even realizing it. So I really love the freedom, the flexibility, and the ability to be creative in whatever way that I really want to be. Mm -hmm. I love that. And can you share a memorable lesson or experience that has shaped your approach to PR and digital marketing? I feel like I've kind of touched on it, but it's Mm -hmm. the whole pivoting, I think, I went into this thinking I wanted to build out an agency. This is actually a fairly recent thing that I have had. So I started the agency. It was a solo thing. I brought on some interns and then I kind of fell into, oh, well, I need to build an agency. I need to build it to have like 30 people and I got to make this much money and I got to do this. And this is what everyone else is doing with their agency. So I have to do that too. And then over the past like two, three months, I was like, I miss the flexibility Last year, around this time, I was freelancing with other agencies, whitelisting my services, having my own clients, and I was flexible. I was working with a bunch of different people on a different projects, working with some really cool brands, and I missed that. When I had my team, I had to be more like nine to five. It was strictly my clients. The flexibility wasn't there. My client, my employees were college students, so they have since graduated, so it kind of worked mm-hmm. out timing-wise. But I've since decided to kind of switch up my business operations now. And we're a little bit more of like a solo agency where it's me. If we need to bring someone on, cool. But I like having the flexibility of if I want to work from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. on a Monday, fine. Mm -hmm. I don't have to be on at 9 a.m. for our team call. So learning to pivot was something that I wasn't anticipating and also learning to not listen to what everyone else is doing because they are on their own journey. I'm on my own journey. There's no point looking at what they're doing because it's not what I want to do at the end of the day. I got lost in that and finally found my way back to, I really enjoyed doing this. Keep doing that. Right. You have to know what, at the end of the day, what you want and not what others want. You have to go after your own dream and your own ambitions and not feel like, everything everybody else is doing is impeding on that yes Mm -hmm. you're your own business yes they are their own business but you two are not the same exactly and I felt so much imposter syndrome and stress and just I just felt so overwhelmed because I was like why am I not there why am I not hitting those marks and then since Mm -hmm. shifting I'm like I wasn't supposed to hit those marks because that's not what I wanted to do I have to go back and go back to my original path. There's no reason to follow what everyone else is doing. Mm -hmm. I agree. And you mentioned whitelisting. What does whitelisting mean? So um, a lot of like freelancers and like solo agencies do this. And I think it's also applicable to a lot of other um, industries, but it's essentially my agency. I do traditional PR, influencer marketing, event management, um, social media, digital marketing, all of that. It's essentially those services can be applied to another agency. So if another agency wants to hire me for my services, I come on under them. So it's sort of like being an employee for them, but Mm -hmm. it's for my agency. So I can use that as like my own work. It's work that I did for this 
if that makes sense. Okay. I feel like gotcha. I didn't explain that well. Interesting. I don't know so if I explained that properly. <laughs> so you're taking your services that you've implemented from your 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 agency and doing that for them. But that's like you're you're taking that under like your portfolio of of like so, business. Maybe this will sound better. Basically, I am being hired by another PR agency for mm-hmm. my services. So they have a client that needs influencer marketing. So this is what happened last year. There was this one um, agency. She is a solo. She does it on her own and she had a client. It was a very big project she needed someone else on. So she hired my agency to help out with influencer marketing. Mm-hmm. And so my services were hired for her client, if that okay. makes sense. So it's kind of an agency to agency thing. Okay. Gotcha. Interesting. Huh. I've never, I've never heard of that before. That's very interesting. I was new to the term. I didn't know there was an official term until recently, but that mm-hmm. is what it is. It's kind of, yeah. Well, that's the best I can explain it. I don't even know if I still did a good job. <laughs> no worries. Well, Amber, my last question for you for today is what does going after your dream life mean to you? Oh, that's a tough one because I, all I do is work, which isn't good. I think going after your dream life is kind of doing what you want to do, not listening to what other people are doing or saying or telling you what to do and just kind of rolling with it. I, like I said, I'm a type A person and I think I've really much adopted life's going to happen. You just have to roll with it. That sort of mentality over the past two years of starting this agency. So I've kind of adapted to that. I didn't realize that maybe I want to move to LA for six months and just work there. That's my dream life. Didn't intend for that to happen. So it's a lot less planning and a lot more of just letting whatever happens happen and enjoying it and learning to take a break sometimes. (laughs) I love that. Well, Amber, where can everybody find you? Sure. So I'm on Instagram, Miss Amber Sabri. You can, my agency's Instagram is listed there as her public relations. I'm on TikTok. I'm a little embarrassing on there. So actually don't follow me there. And I just started a YouTube channel. I've been a little bad at it, but if you want more of me talking and rambling, I'm on YouTube. It's all under Miss Amber Sabri. You can find me from there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on for, onto my podcast today. Oh my God. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a fun little talk. Well, you guys, that is it for today's episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning into today's episode with Amber. I had an awesome time recording with her and I hope you guys learned a lot more about what it's like to own your own PR agency and how you can start your own as well. So I'm definitely going to take some of these tips in mind as I'm thinking of creating my own PR agency in the future, maybe after I graduate from college. So I'm can't wait to see what this journey takes me. Um, and don't forget, if you guys are listening, take a photo and tag me on your Instagram at, with my handle at the Morning Muse Podcast. Um, and just share it with your friends, share it with your family, anybody who will love to listen to the PR space and the PR industry. So thank you guys so much for tuning in today. I will see you guys next week. Bye, guys.